We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk about the young guys on this year's Lakers team. Now, our quote-unquote young core, I wouldn't even use that term to describe this group because they are not core. They are not the 19 and 20-year-olds who someday will be the first or second options on their teams the way we saw with uh, D'Angelo Russell and Brandon Ingram and now Kyle Kuzma, right? When I talk about the young guys on this team, I talk about the guys where I could see them having a role in the rotation on a good team. Right. This year's squad has definitely not been a good team, but next year, maybe a guy like Stanley Johnson, for example, I don't think is a has this type of role on a good team, but I could see him as a good 10th man, a good 11th man. So that's kind of the um, the framing in which I talk about those guys. And for me, the guys that fit that description are Stanley, THT, Austin Reeves and Malik Monk that are young, that I can see that have a potential place on next year's team. And so in this pod, we're going to talk about that and the development of that. But I think before then, it's I, I think it's informative to kind of revisit what developing on the Lakers is like. And D, right before we started recording, you were like, hey, did you see this uh, that Kyle Kuzma said about what it was like to play on the Lakers and to be a young player growing on the Lakers and I think that his comments are really informative on how developing with the Lakers is a pretty different experience than it is almost anywhere else in the league. Well, I would say, too, developing on a team with LeBron James. Right. That only amplifies it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like those two things are force multipliers for each other to a certain extent. There is a certain amount of scrutiny. It's funny the way that this works, Mike, and you've been around the team for a long time, so I think you know this even better than fans do because you sort of get a front row seat to to it in in a way that outside observers don't. But people often lament the idea that, oh, well, this guy is not actually good. He's on the Lakers, and so he gets extra attention. And so when he does pop to a certain extent, we glorify that and we magnify that. And we we then treat that player differently because he was a Laker. Okay, 
that cuts both ways. Like when a player is <laughs> yeah. is struggling or is bad, then those dudes get buried and their flaws get amplified in ways that it literally took all of these dudes who I knew were all going to be good. Like, I'm sorry. I knew D'Angelo Russell was going to be good. I knew Brandon Ingram was going to be good. I knew it so much. I bet Pete that yep. he would be a sort of like franchise level scorer yep. in this league because I saw it. Mm-hmm. I saw what his development path was going to look like. This isn't to pat myself on the back. These dudes have pedigree. They were drafted like number two overall in drafts where they were considered top prospects. Like that doesn't just... Amongst a lot of other good players. Yes. Sorry, I'm off track a little bit here, but I want to circle back to the point that you were asking, Pete, is that these guys often, there is a pressure and a scrutiny and, and like a, like, we're looking very closely at what you can't do as much as what you can do. And that leads to, at times, I think, players underperforming in ways that they would not if they were in a place with less spotlight. And Mike, you've talked about this a fair amount within the context of how teams get up to play the Lakers. And you saw this firsthand sort of going from like, oh, I worked for the Timberwolves. And I saw the difference in animation, in crowds, and in opposing teams when they might come in to play Minnesota versus when they might come in to play the Lakers. And when you're on the Lakers side of that equation, there is a certain amount of like, oh, okay, I have to perform now. Every single night, like it raises the stakes. And to me, when I looked at Kuzma's comments, and I'm not sure if folks have seen them or not, Silver Screen and Roll has an article up. I think Kuzma made his comments originally to The Athletic, but it was the framing of it, Mike, was sort of like, yeah, I'm doing well in Washington now. There is less looking over my shoulder about like what my and less changing of of my role. I'm, I'm a basically allowed to do what I do. And that's helped me thrive. And on a Lakers team that is trying to win the championship and a Lakers team that has LeBron James on it, the the asks are going to be different. And the role and, and playing winning basketball, that is heightened. And I think that that has that puts you on a certain type of development track when you're a young player playing for the Lakers that it might not be if you're a young player playing on the Wizards or a young player playing in any other random city where you just sort of get to spread your wings and fly. Well, I also think that it's when you look at certain rosters, even in the Western Conference, like Phoenix or Golden State, they've got some young guys that they consider to be franchise type anchors potentially moving forward. And, you know, even some of the teams in the Eastern Conference as well, and then there seems like the Lakers and maybe the Bucks, where it's it's much more about the vets and sort of the win now. And you might have a couple of guys who you like a lot that you think could stick around later. And in the Lakers case, you know, maybe that is an Austin Reeves. Maybe maybe that is still a THT, but it's not a, a top lottery pick, you know, like a Wiseman who wasn't yet who was yet to play this year or a Kaminga for Golden State, who's playing a lot. For Phoenix, it's a, you know, Bridges is is not young anymore, but is in and has already gotten paid, but still seems like he's on a trajectory like that or a Cam Johnson. And those are different situations from what the Lakers had, even when they like Kyle Kuzma was not a high first round pick. He was the number 27 pick, but he played so well early that I think that he became that kind of a guy for them. 
where, you know, and then they were able to keep him even when they traded almost everything else away to get Anthony Davis. And then up until the point of last year, right, where he now was in the Westbrook trade. And, you know, you can make a good argument for statistics or how he's playing. Like Kuzma is outplaying a lot of guys this year. And especially mm-hmm. since Bradley Beal went down, he has stepped up even more uh, and is and is carrying a bigger burden for Washington. And, you know, he's doing it on on both sides of the court, even though now his offense has been asked. He's been asked a little bit more uh, to do on that side of the court than what we saw he could do later on the defensive end. But Pete, I'm already I'm getting distracted from talking about the Laker guys. So why don't we push it back to you that way uh, and, and discuss which of these young guys you want to discuss? No, I think it's really important to discuss those guys because it really informs the future, I think, of our current Laker players. Now, our current Laker players don't come from that same type of background, that, you know, number two pick that went to Duke type of player that everyone has known is going to be a really high level talent for for a long time. It's not that. And, And so... I think Kuz is a really good bridge yeah. type of player in that respect because he's not that player. And Kuz, I think, is a testament to adaptability. I think he's a very adaptable person, and that's something that's translated to his play. And he was an end-of-the-bench guy at Utah. Utah is not a major college powerhouse. It's not not a mid-major, of course, but if you're an end-of-the-bench guy at Utah – the odds of you ever having a five-game stretch where you average 27 points per game in the NBA are very, very low. And I think that to be able to get from that point, to, to from one point to the other, you have to be able to adapt to your circumstances. And I think Kuz is a great um, kind of role model for our current young guys to follow in that you are when you are not that high-end player, guys like D'Lo and and B.I. got a lot of reps early in their career because they were on bad teams that could afford to give them first or second option reps that are not the high enough quality first and second option reps to win games. But it's very valuable experience that I think is paying off for both of them at this point in their career. Well, if you're that number 27 pick or that second round pick or that undrafted free agent, you're not going to be placed in that situation. Your path to just getting playing time at all is to do what the team needs you to do, right? And so if that's Kyle Kuzma in his rookie year, it's like, we just drafted Lonzo number two. Run with this dude. Run the court. Play into what the team's strengths can be and be this real high-end scorer for a rookie, of course. And Kuz has become like a very different player over the course of his career. But the point is that his entry point was like, do what you need to do to get playing time on this team because it's not guaranteed in ways that it is for a number two pick on a bad team. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's use that as the framing to go into our current young guys. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Darius, I want to start with THT because he is the one upon whom the greatest expectations, the greatest resources have been placed. And I think the one that's probably struggled the most to fit into what he's been asked to do. So talk to me about Taylor Horton Tucker's season. Well, I think that he's the best analog to Coos as well. So mm. just to stick on Coos for a second, because I want to transition to THT by using Coos as, as a bridge here, that idea of adaptability and sort of doing what's asked of you, but flashing enough in certain areas that you then yeah. show a path. Yes, and, and I love so this, yes. Because Coos popped as a scorer the way that he did in Summer League, that then informed what his role was going to be as a rookie. Mm. And then the team gets LeBron, right? And it's sort of just like, hey, well, guess what? You're going to have to do some other stuff now. So as the team started to do some other stuff, and then it's just like, okay, well, now they've got Anthony Davis. And his role changed again, but it didn't change again to something totally radical. It went back to, hey, you can be our third star. We mm. remember you. You were the scorer. Mm-hmm. You were the dude who could put up numbers. That guy would be great on this team. You're a combo forward. You could slot between LeBron and Anthony Davis. You could, you could do a bunch cut. Of- you don't even need the ball. Oh, yep. man. All these visions we of grandeur. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being that that wasn't the case. And then he scaled back again and he became a role player. THT, he's popped in ways as an on-ball shot creator that have sort of Put him in a lane of, we'd love to develop you to be someone who could be a usage guy, right? Someone who could create shots for other people. Last year, when there were some injuries, they played him at point guard, basically. And Frank Vogel even said, like, we're putting him here. We know he's not a point guard, but he's an on-ball dude. And we want to give him on-ball reps. And that's been the idea for him. Now, fast forward to this year's team. And they filled the team with guys who were on ball dudes. And THT, I think, is having trouble finding his way in terms of how how he's going to get his touches, how his usage is going to stay at a relative level, all while also, Mike, having to improve defensively because the asks on him Mm -hmm. defensively have been, you're going to have to be a wing stopper. You're one of the only dude with tools on this entire team on the perimeter to actually be a wing defender. And those two worlds to me are clashing. 
for him. Like stay on the court defensively, but be a usage guy offensively on a team that is having trouble carving out usage at all. Right. Because here's Russell Westbrook and here's LeBron James and here's Anthony Davis. Oh, no. Anthony Davis is gone. Oh, no. LeBron James is gone. Oh, here's Malik Monk. Right. And it's just like shuffle around, shuffle around, find your touches, find ways to score on a team with no shooting. Where everyone's packing the paint against you because that's the game plan. And I feel like he's had real trouble navigating that sort of hopscotch path for him offensively while still maintaining that level of defensive motor and defensive production and activity that's been asked of him. Yeah, this is also where I think there are some similarities between THT and Kuz, where what they like to do and what they're probably best at wasn't always what the team needed at that time for them to do based on what the rest of the roster and personnel was. Mm -hmm. And because of just their, you know, their size and talent, you know, and length and like having the ability basically to do some three and D things that other guys can't do uh, that don't have the physical tools to even do it. And of course they're not the same. There Kuz is longer um, and, and bigger in that sense, but you know, THG does have some of those capabilities, especially when compared to an Avery Bradley or a Austin Reeves or Malik Monk or you know, up and down what the Lakers roster has been. So that's that's the first thing. Then the second part of it is when you we watch the Lakers obviously very closely, and we can have these nuanced discussions about THT and what the asks are and what he's been able to do. But if you a lot of people are just gonna look at the raw numbers and say, well, hold on. How good is this guy? If he's in 26 minutes, he's shooting 41%, 27% from three. You know, uh, he's he's averaging not quite 10 points. Assisted turnovers, not great, like 2.6 to 1.5. His net rating actually is is better than most of his teammates. Like, like on this team, he's a minus 2.2. That's actually not bad. Like there's only so many guys above him. It's like Dwight, Stanley, LeBron, Mello, Monk, and Reeves. You know, and, and so he's been kind of in the middle there, even towards the top of the roster in terms of his impact on the court. But that's the and then you were always reminded with THD that he still is the youngest player on the team. You know, he's 21 still. So it's a he, his picture to me requires a lot of explanation and understanding and forecasting as to where he really can develop, which is to bring the coups thing back into this, which is where I did where. His coups eventually kind of put it all together, at least to be to maximize the kind of player where he was, where this year he's brought the scoring flashes that he showed early with the Lakers back. And he's developed enough on defense to still be impactful on that end. And, you know, that's kind of Pete where what can THT do in that sense, like next year? And because Kuz came into the league older than 21, you know, and that's it's always the qualifier for me with Talon. But with that also brings the salary that's different because he because of how young he was and now he had to have the deal go forward. So there's a lot there on THT, but what what stands out to you? I mean, it's all about his jump shot to me. And I think by this point in a young player's career, they've flashed at some point the capability to become something more. So Kuz is a good example where Kuz did flash that ability as a scorer early on, but he would also every once in a while have a, a big rebound game or, you know, make a few nice passes. And it's like, okay, check it. Like he's got that skill in the right circumstances against the right team. You see a flash of it. And we were cracking up the other day, D, about 
Taylor's jumper. He hit that step back and you were like, he's way more comfortable than his shooting mechanics off of a step back than off of a catch and shoot three, which is a hundred percent accurate. And that's indicative of how on ball players can be. That's an on ball player shot is step like, it, and it's so kind of funny watching him. He'll catch a pass at like 18 feet away, which is odd spacing in 2022 in the first place. And then be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to take that long step back. And because I'm way more comfortable shooting this jumper, but if you are not going to be, the primary on-ball player, then you have to have a jump shot, I think, in the NBA. Or you got to be a lob threat offensively. Or you are going to be um, a a record scratch at different points, you know, where – and so – and then Taylor, as an on-ball player, um, this – now – him being in this very foreign role to him, I think plays into this. But even in transition, there was a play the other day where it was a two-on-one with LeBron. And he looked at Le- – he had the ball and LeBron was filling the other wing. And he looked at LeBron the whole time like, I'm going to throw you this alley-oop. And the defender, as a result, is backing up and not committing to Talon. And he throws it anyway and he gets broken up. And I think Malik tracked it down and put it back up and in. But it, it was like – there's a certain decision making where with when Taylor has the ball in his hands where it's like there's some of that you learn. There's some of that where you either got that or you don't, you know? Well, I would say, too, that that's that play is also indicative of exactly what I was talking about early in the pod, which is who are your teammates? What are the expectations and and what's the hierarchy and what are we playing for? Oh, this is a great point. Yeah. Because if Taylor's playing with another young player right there, oh, he probably a, dunks that. Oh, if Malik Monk is filling the lane right next to yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. He looks at Malik or whoever else, right? Someone not named freaking LeBron James, basically. He's probably just like, oh, well, okay, you're an option. I've got several options and you're one. And where you're placed in the hierarchy is below me because yeah. I have the ball. LeBron is one of those players where, like, and we've seen this with several dudes, even veteran guys. We talked about it with DJ Augustine the other day. Like, it's his first game. They swing the ball to him, and he's sort of open, and he's just like, no, 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 let me reset. Here, LeBron, take the ball back. And it's sort of just like, no, bro, like, you you want the court for a reason. Yeah, play your game. This is what I think the topic of development on the Lakers, this is the stuff that, like, no one accounts for any of that. It's never a part of the discussion and it's never and it's why the guys who show that they can just play their game regardless, Malik. irrespective of any of those circumstances, those mm. are the dudes that like stand out to me as being like, oh, OK, like it's why, honestly, I loved Alex Caruso. It's why on a certain level, I was deeply fond of Derek Fisher because he mm. was just like. Oh, he didn't care. Like, whatever. That really, by the way, at the time, as fans, that would really piss us off. Like, remember the pull-up jumpers with the damn foot on the line? Like, he'd take the long twos with, like, 21 seconds left on the shot clock. He'd shoot these wild layups that he would miss half the time. But that mentality allows you to knock down open jumpers in game five of the Western Conference Finals, you know? Or in game, whatever, game three on the road against the Boston Celtics and be like, oh, yeah. I'm in the open court. No one's stopping the ball. I see a lane. It's the wrong choice to basically keep going. But you know what? No one's stopping me. Oh, look, there's Kevin Garnett. Mm, I don't care. 
oh, Ray Allen's on my hip. No big deal. That whole game was a defiant fish game. Like yes. that he was Hell awesome yeah. in that game. And then the the previous year, the three over Jameer Nelson, and then another three in OT. With the and the pedal mic and the oh, yeah. yeah, man. Why are you backpedaling, Jameer? Okay. That's right. Pull this over your head, bro. Yep. Boom. Yeah, those are the, those are my favorite two fish games. So the role player and the idea of developing and like what you have and how much those circumstances and context influence your game, I think is super important. And these are growing pain sort of lessons to learn as a young player and being able to look LeBron in the face and be like, no, like I got it. That's that's a hard thing. And some guys will never get that, and some young guys will. So let's take a break here. We spent a lot of time on THT, but I'd love to get into Malik and to Austin a little bit here as well. So, Pete, the idea between a guy like Talon, who is being groomed for something bigger, and a guy like Austin, who is being groomed to be that connective piece, I think those are different asks. And I think some guys are naturally inclined to be one or the other. And while Talon is trying to find his way, I think Austin has found his way. He knows what he is in this league already. And some of that's maturity, playing in college for longer and yada, yada, yada. But talk to me some about Austin's development throughout this season and sort of where you see him going and how happy you are or not about where he is and what you see his path to be. So I, I think the comparison between THT and, and Austin is it speaks to the importance of uh, varying skill sets when you're a role player in particular. When you're an on-ball player, Taylor's a good example of this. Is He's got a lot of really great on-ball moves and low gathers, high gathers, right? His, obviously, that you know his signature layup is very difficult to guard. He's gotten better on the right side of the basket shooting that shot, right? So it's not the kind of backhand, right-handed layup, but on the right-hand side using that little bank shot. He's gotten better in these driving to the basket circumstances, but when you're a role player, the ability to shot fake, ball fake, make passes with your left hand or right hand, the all of the skill development stuff uh, that comes with being a connective piece and kind of keeping the wheel moving is that's what Austin has in his skill set. And so, in some ways, I worry. You you said something about like getting it. I think that. Austin is a rare case where he's better than he thinks he is. And the other day against San Antonio before the game uh, in the thread, I was like, I need a 10 plus shot game from Austin, right? We need, I need Austin taking. And so long as it, in this stretch, I, I want to see him take as many shots as he can because he's got a wider variety of shots to make, right? And I just think that he looks to the next guy more when it's like, no, 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 you're the most skilled guy in this scenario. Like, don't swing the ball to Russell Westbrook for a corner, you know, for a, a wing three. Shot fake that, rip through, hit that one dribble pull up, you know? And so that, in in terms of, I'm curious how that goes with him. Cause I think that he's that as a role player developing as, as a role guy, the, his ability to use all of the, those elements of the game really help grease the wheels, but he's also got some of that on ball game that I think he's flashed in ways that are more similar to Coos. Mike, you've talked to Austin a fair amount this year. I think a part of that will come with success on the court 
and knowing that he's trusted by his teammates rather than just thinking he might be. Pete, the stuff that you're describing, I think, is more experience-based than anything else. It is mm-hmm. the fact that he is an undrafted rookie. Sure. And it, not it's that a, hierarchy you're talking about. Yes, yeah. And not yeah, a good third point. or a fourth-year player. Because I I guarantee you, Alex Caruso was making very similar sort of reads. Mm-hmm. Now, Caruso was not as skilled as Austin is as like a scorer and, and sort of that in-between player in terms of game. But there were plenty of times where I'm just like, no, Alex, just like shoot the open three. Like you don't have to swing and cut again, right? Like you're open. And that decision-making within plays is is super important. And so, Mike, on a scale of one to 10, like where are you with Austin in terms of happiness with his development? And, and do you see him ever growing into more than what he is at this point than just sort of that connective player? Well, I am in Texas, so uh, 10, 10, Miss Davis. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys are varsity blues uh, guys, but I it's it's hard not to it's hard not to be for me uh, just seeing kind of Austin's development here and, and just noticing what everybody around the team thinks of him from players to coaching staff and all that. I I, I think that it's a very big time hit considering how they got him. And just like Caruso was, and this is where the path is interesting because even if you look at Monk, you know, Monk is a free agent next year. Like Austin is still under control, uh, under team control next year, and then can be moving forward from that, right? Like just in terms of uh, in terms of restrictions and stuff like that. So that that to me, it feels a little bit more like like the guy that you can develop yourself. That that and that that alone is important. And, you know, you were talking about Caruso earlier. So he did have he had two years before the championship season. So 1718 was his first year. Now, he only played in 37 games. And that was when he was on the two way. And then the next year, he only played in 25 games and in 1819. And in those times, though, like he had games where he popped. But it was it was still clear since he came up the way that he did contractually that you were going to be able to get some of that benefit down the line as he continued to mature. And and so I do view Austin Reeves in that same sense. And I'm much less worried about the, you know what, maybe you should shoot a little bit more or like, he's just trying to play the right way and he's trying to fit in the right, like all of that, I think will come with an additional NBA off season, right? Where he knows that he's coming back and he has already shown his team that he can be a value on the court. Just to jump in there, the exit meeting is going to be crucial for Austin Reeves, like, what are we talking about and what my summer is going to look like, right? Because that's going to help him focus on what his path is going to be going forward as an NBA player, too. And, and just to, to put a bow on this one, so I had mentioned earlier the THT net rating thing, and, and there's a certain point where you have to consider everything on this, but Reeves is a plus 5.8 on this team, on this team that's well below 500 that has struggled. And that alone tells you something. Right. It, the sample size is big enough that he's played with starting groups. He's closed games. He's played with bench, all bench groups, and he's found a way to positively impact. So that's what I mean, where I'm not really that worried about the, you know, if he should take more jump shots in certain instances and be more aggressive. And like I his impact is just overall to have a, a net rating of 5.8 when you're an undrafted rookie free agent at his size. Uh, is that's where I go with a 10 out of 10. Like, I don't know how you could, ex- you could expect much more from that spot. 
Yeah, same. And I, I'm not worried about it either. I will would like to do everything in my power to accelerate Austin realizing that he's a really good NBA player, right? Yeah, so, which is fair. Uh, yeah, which yeah. is fair so, too, yeah. Uh, so, Someone who does not have confidence issues in their shot, a fellow Arkansas guy, Malik Monk, who I think has been a testament to development on the other end of the floor. At his size, there are always going to be certain things that he's going to have a certain ceiling defensively that he will not be able to overcome. That said, especially when the team is focused on playing actual defense, which has not been all the time this year, and he's not you know, a guy that's going to lead your defense. He's not going to lead the charge defensively, D, right? But when the team is locked in and playing defense, he has been someone whose development and awareness of what to do and when and utilization of what he does have, his athleticism, his ability to run. Mike was just talking about Austin as one of the best net rating guys on the team. Malik's up there too. And you can't be that as just the small scorer guy that doesn't play any defense at all, certainly not on a team like this. And so he's always going to have defensive weaknesses, but I think he's grown tremendously defensively this season. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think just that point of leveraging what you do have is super important. Like I think of a guy, and I'm not comparing Malik to, to Steph Curry, but Steph Curry is a small guard. He's not super strong. He doesn't have great length. He doesn't jump super high, but he puts his nose in there. He will try to stand up a big dude. If he's being post, posted up, he will reach in and use his hands. He's got good anticipation, so he'll jump passing lanes, right? And he leverages every last bit of his ability to compete defensively. And the strides I've seen in Malik have been in that area. It's, yeah. it's, it's like, I'm going to compete more often. And do more things that I know I can do defensively. One of the biggest plays in that win the other night was Malik basically stealing that inbounds pass. Yeah, got and the deflection right because he's active hands, active jumping. hands. He's jumping. Yep. He, he he anticipates when the ball is getting getting released. He jumps out the damn gym, mm-hmm. gets a steal, tips it to himself, and then throws that lob to LeBron. And it's just like, yeah, a couple of games before that. Last man back, two on one. They throw the lob and Malik jumps up and steals the lob, right? And and it's just like, you're not going to win a lot of battles in strength. He's not going to be able to get underneath a big dude and keep him off of the glass, Mm -hmm. right? There's just stuff that as a six foot one, hundred and what 75 80 pound dude that he's he's just not going to be able to do a lot of stuff from a strength standpoint but from a motor and an athleticism standpoint he can impact the game and a player comp that i had way earlier during the season i meant to write about this and i didn't in talking about malik was jr smith and a lot of that comp is from an offensive standpoint right It's like, oh, the gunner, the guy who can get you 30 points on any given night and hit seven threes and and just sort of that that nonchalant. I'm so good at this natural scoring ability. Right. Mm -hmm. This is like I'm just going to go get me some. But Mm -hmm. the other side of the ball is where he can comp to Smith as well. Smith was never known as a defensive guy. He was always someone who was sort of looked at as like a space cadet on that end of the floor. But as the as he got when he got to a team 
that had expectations, a team where he had to play on that side of the ball in order to play in the game and be a part of closing groups. He became a good defensive player. Now, Smith had better size. He was 6'6". There's a lot that goes with that, right? But that level of like, I'm going to raise my level to the point that it needs to be in order to compete, that's like real basketball player stuff. Right. And that's what Malik has in him, Mike, that I've been happy to see his growth on that side side of the ball, because it tells me that it matters to him in in a way that is worth investing in potentially in a more long term way. And that's the question, right? That's the question. So Malik, having played well and certainly played above a vet minimum contract, the question is then next year. What is his price going to be? Uh, is there is there something that he appreciates about being in L.A. and especially alongside LeBron where and for, sort of for the Lakers and Rob Palenka being the, the team that was willing to give him that guaranteed contract? Or you know does he does he just like many young players, anybody would understand, just have to go to the place that offers the most money and mm-hmm. or the most years and the most security? And I guess it's it's. It's not really necessary to talk about that right now because we don't know. We don't know what that's going to end up being. But in terms of a player that you is he does he have the type of skill set to be one of those guys that can be a key role player around a LeBron and AD team? And you know, this is where we get a little bit back into that conversation we had in the offseason. And I've always been a little bit more on the side of D than three. And mm-hmm. I don't but I also love the way that Monk has played this year and and do think that as long as let's put it this way, if you do have him as one of those key pieces, then you really have to go more towards the size and the defense from the other spots. And you just can't have as many of those guys that are that are smaller um, to me. And and really, you can this is a guy that I want who can be one of the guys on the court in crunch time with LeBron and Navy. And and yet, as Pete pointed out, Malik has developed some on that end, and I think that he still can some. But he he to me still is best as um, as that offensive player who's going to make a defensive play here and there, but is still ultimately going to be targeted some, you know, by the other team. The more that he's on the court, and and that's why he's a complicated player. You know, that's mm-hmm. why he's a. I think you've seen you've seen him go from even in Charlotte, where he'd have four games in a row of being like twenty five plus points, and then he just wouldn't play much. For the next week, because the coach may have seen something on defense and and just all right, hold on. The scoring's been great, and he continues to evolve towards that end. He's shooting thirty nine percent from three this year. Uh, as I was looking that up and thinking that's got to be close to the top. It's crazy how many guys are right in that. So Bazemore, low, lower sample size, but thirty nine point two. Ellington thirty nine point one. Monk thirty nine point zero. Mello thirty nine point zero. Bradley thirty eight point three. I that's a complete aside that I just hadn't looked at in a while to see yeah. how those guys right in that same exact area. But Monk is the guy out of that group. And, you know, maybe Wayne to an extent, but I, I still feel the best when the ball goes up uh, out mm-hmm. of his hands. Right. And that alone says something. Absolutely. And it, at the beginning of this season, it was a Malik or Wayne type of question that we got a pretty resounding answer to, but going forward, My remaining skepticism with him is the playoffs, right? The playoffs are so matchup and targeting based that he is such an obvious entry point for a a team's, you know, offense that 
that I think would become problematic. Uh, that and there's no way to answer that until he's actually yeah. in that position. But I've just seen enough pretty small guards get vanquished in the playoffs as you get deeper and deeper where uh, that's a concern that I have. The only way I would counter that is if you can't target any of the other dudes. Sure. Right. Because if you've only got one target, then we can scheme around protecting that one target. But you can't do it when this other guy has a weakness too. And that other guy has this weakness because then you don't have enough forces to protect everyone, right? And you're going to get outflanked eventually. But it's just like, oh, if you've got a strong defensive guard right next to Malik and then like a legit defensive wing, and then you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, okay, well, let's go, let's go, right? Yeah, you could target Malik and then guess what? We're going to scramble and we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And suddenly it's, seven left on the shot clock and you haven't done anything. And now what are you going to do? Go hunt Malik again? Oh, right. It's it's like, that's how you build things out. And will you win some of those possessions as, as an offense? You will, but defensively you're going to win some too. And that's sort of where Malik is to me at this point. Yeah. He's got to get to good enough defensively because the offense is probably going to be there. But even then he's got a degree of inconsistency where I think that, Malik's the type of guy that is really good to have, but if you have to rely on him, both on on either end of the the court, I think that just like most players, right, the more you have to rely on them, the more their weaknesses will will shine through. We will get to Stanley next time we cover this topic, but we got a game tonight against the Rockets. Hopefully LeBron plays. We'll be back tomorrow to cover how it goes here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, 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 that insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.